Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. So with that being said, take your Bible, if you have it, to 2 Kings chapter number 7. And let me welcome all those who are viewing online. Welcome this morning. We're excited that you're here. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's going to be a great time together. In 2 Kings chapter number 7, if you've got a copy of God's Word, turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Or you can download the Southridge Church app. And through our app, you can also look at the Scripture, look at the notes, stay connected. And follow along because I am hoping that this word is an encouragement to you and a blessing. Let's get started. One more announcement I forgot. Next Sunday, as we move into the new building, we're going to kick off next Sunday with the baptism service. And so you have not taken that next step and gone public with water baptism. Next Sunday is going to be an exciting Sunday. So make plans to get baptized next Sunday in the new building. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. We also have a photographer that Sunday, and so we'll get some great pictures of, of the day and of you getting baptized. Well, 2 Kings chapter 7, let's begin in verse number 1. The Word of God says this. Actually, can we stand out of respect for the Word of God if you're able to? I know I just had you sit down, but I plan to preach for six hours, so let's get our legs stretched out. That's the joke. Hey, thank you. All right. There we go. One person. There we go. You're getting an extra blessing today. All right, Mark, I'm telling you what, your, your golf game's going to get a whole lot better from here on out. You know, I, I declare it and I prophesy that over you, okay? He wants a six-hour message. Nobody else wants it, but Mark wants it. Amen. Praise God. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen. Even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would bless the reading of your word. I think there's some profound truth that can bless each one of our hearts, but we have to have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a mind to meditate. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you're finding your seat, would you touch your neighbor and say, don't forget to remember. Touch your neighbor and say, don't forget to remember. You know, I use my phone and I set a ton of reminders. I use the alarm clock and you could put a memo line with the alarm clock. Now, I know you can just tell Siri to remind you. That's for all the Apple fans out there. We're still praying for Peter to get saved, but that's okay. One of these days, he will convert. And you can just tell Siri, and Siri will set the memo line and give you the reminder, because we all need those reminders. And in my phone, I probably have six or seven active reminders. And sometimes I will look at the reminders that pop up that I did not set, 
And I'll just go through and I'll, I'll, I'll think, why do I have this reminder? Then I remember that I actually get my wife's old phone. She always gets the every two years and the upgrade and I just take hers. I don't, I don't really care. And then I'll look on her phone, the amount of reminders that she has. She has pages of reminders. You could just keep scrolling. There are just reminders for days. Why? Why do we have reminders? Because we forget what we should remember. And oftentimes we remember what we often should forget. But here in this passage of scripture, we see Elisha immediately opening with saying, hear the word of the Lord. And then he kind of repeats himself and says, this is what the Lord says. So whenever you see something mentioned twice in scripture, that means covenant. It kind of has this idea that lean in and listen to it. This is important. And what we hear from God is very much important. But oftentimes we can get so distracted, we miss what God wants to speak to us. I often will have to say to my children over and over and over again, repeat myself for them to listen. And then I think, how many times does God have to repeat himself over and over and over for me to listen? And so in this passage, we see that they were supposed to remember something. And so we need to also ourselves understand this. You see, Elisha repeats what God is speaking, and God repeats himself because he wants us to remember. And they say repetition is the key to learning, but I want to say repetition should also be the key to our Christian living. That there are some things we need to remember and repeat so we don't forget it. And the first big thing we need to remember, and I love this, because the backstory to chapter 7 is found at the end of chapter number six. You see, there's two tribes of Israel. There's the northern tribe and the southern tribe. And the one tribe of Judah, they were more closely, they would follow God just a little bit more. But this is is Samaria, and they they rebelled a lot against God, and, and they were suffering the consequences of it. Because in chapter number six, we see that they're in a siege. Now, what a siege meant was a foreign invading army. Instead of just attacking you, what they would do is they would surround your city and they would just starve you out. They wouldn't let anybody get out and they wouldn't let anybody come in. And there was no pararescue. There was no airlifting people in and out. There was nothing that they could do. This was a very effective means of war in that day and age. So the city of Samaria is being besieged by the Assyrians. And for a time, Israel was fine. They were okay. But then things began to get desperate. Food began to get scarce. How scarce did it get? They were auctioning off the head of a donkey for an incredible amount of money. But that's not the worst of it. This is a little bit graphic. This is a little bit kind of gross. They were even buying dove dung. I mean, how desperate is it that this city has been demoralized? And and this is is the part for any parent. This is really going to get you. The city had now reverted to cannibalism. And now finally, King Ahab, he's at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to do. The city's reverting to cannibalism. They're trying to buy a donkey's head. They're eating dove dung. And so finally, I don't know why it took him this long, but he calls for Elisha. And that's where we pick it up in chapter number seven. 
So you got to understand the context here that they have no food. There's no supplies. They're starving to death. People are having to eat their own. And here we find them in this desperate situation. And this is where some of us, we might be able to kind of have some empathy for Samaria for a second. You say, why? Because they're going through something very difficult. And when you're going through something difficult, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember what, though? Don't forget to remember that there is no situation that God can't turn around. Because that's the promise of verse number one. Would you notice it again? Here's what the word of God says. He said, listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will only cost one piece of silver. In the previous chapter, you couldn't buy a donkey's head for that price. But here he's saying, this isn't just flour. This is choice flour. This is that fine flour. This is the expensive stuff. He's saying, tomorrow, everything's going to change. Could you for a moment just step back and have some faith that things tomorrow are going to be completely different? Or are you just resigned to thinking that things will never change? Are you just resigned to the thinking that God can't do it? Are you kind of like this king's guard who said, that can't happen? You see, the king's guard, what was he there to say? He was there to say, even if God opened the windows of heaven. Now, there's twice in scripture we read about the windows of heaven. The first time we read about the windows of heaven, we discover that it's when God sent the flood, God opened the windows of heaven and out came the water. So if that flood flooded the earth, that's God opening the windows of heaven. Just imagine what he has. The second time is found in the book of uh, Malachi, that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And here the king's guard is saying, God couldn't do that even if the windows of heaven were open. Excuse me. We forget to remember that there is no situation that God can't turn around. And in this passage, God is declaring that to us. You see, I love it. That Elisha replied, listen to the message from the Lord. God still had a message for this evil kingdom. This kingdom had gotten into this situation not because they were serving, loving, and following God. They got in because they had turned to idolatry. You see, God still had a word for them even though they weren't living right. And God's word to them was still a good word. So whether you are serving, following, loving, giving to God, God still has a good word for you irregardless because that's his character. That's his nature. And how good God is that even though we may not have lived right, he can still speak a right word to us. That God still has something for us. And so the reality is that God, that can you believe God in spite of what your senses, situation, and stomach is saying? Can you believe God? Because in this passage, we see that there's all kinds of things going on. And you need to make a decision. Will I remember? Will I remember that God can turn this around? Because when things are going difficult, it's hard to have that faith that God can turn things around, isn't it? That's when it's difficult. And that's why we need to remember, don't forget to remember, that God can turn this around. You see, today's decisions are tomorrow's realities. The decision you make tomorrow will become tomorrow's realities. So you need to say, I'm going to make the right decisions. They were surrounded, they were starving, and they were in need of saving, and yet a word from God is what they needed. But I love it because they were going to go to bed hungry one last time. That was it. One last time they were going to go to bed hungry. 
Because God said, by this time tomorrow, something was happening. And I believe that God is doing something right now, not only in San Jose, not only in Southridge Church, but I believe that God is doing something around the world right now. We don't see it, but I believe that God can do some things. But what often happens is the Christians, we're the ones that we forget to remember, don't we? We forget to remember that God can turn everything around. You're looking at the world and you're getting despondent. You're looking at your family, looking at relationships. And it's time this morning that you say, God, I know you can turn it around. God, I declare that you can turn it around. And when you're discouraged, you need to come back to this passage and say, okay, God, I'm going to wait for you to turn around. God works all things together for good. But the first thing, there's no situation that God can't turn around. Secondly, when your faith is weak, get around strong friends. Think about it for a second. Go to verse number two. In verse number two, we see something happen. The Bible says this. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen. Even the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. When we first started the church in uh, January of 2014, there was somebody who was assisting us to help launch the church. He came kind of highly recommended, and he had a ministry that he said he helps churches get planted and started. And so he came, and we were excited because we had heard that this person had a good reputation. And so we were like, we'll take all the help we can get to get things started. You know, as I tell you about this, I kind of cringe a little bit because his help was no help. I can't tell you the amount of discouraging things. The guy, I think, was related to Eeyore. He just, he had that personality. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. He just had that Eeyore personality. We're all excited about our first Sunday, and he comes to me, and he says, I wouldn't get excited. Nobody's really going to show up your first Sunday. I was like, What? What are you saying, man? Like, I got to go into this thing excited because I quit my job. I don't have medical. I don't have a lot of money. And I got everything riding on this. And here, here you are, you know, with friends like you. Who needs enemies, you know? I mean, yeah, this guy was no help. You see, when you are going through a difficult situation, when your faith is weak, get around strong friends. Here's what's interesting. This king had an assistant and this assistant is this guard saying, God can't do it. And each one of us, if we're not careful, we have people that say, God can't do that. And what are you doing with those friends? But I'm so grateful that the king had Elisha. And Elisha had the faith that tomorrow things would be different. Do you have a friend that you can go to when you're down and you're discouraged and you say, I don't know what to do. And that friend says, God can turn this around. Let's go pray over this. Let's go read some scripture about this. Or do you have friends that are like, let's go get wasted. You know, this is all, all not really worth it. So let's just, you know, live like today doesn't really matter. What, where are your friends taking you? You see, when your faith is weak, you need to have strong friends. But yet here, I'm so thankful that here is Elisha, and he's got the faith to believe things can change. And that's why we want you, when you come to Southridge, that your faith is built up, that we have the faith to believe great things, even though we couldn't even see it. That we just believe God is doing some things. And you have to have that belief, but so many times we don't have the belief, do we? You see, this king's guard doubted God's prophet. Not just doubt, doubted God's prophet. 
He also doubted God. He doubted God's power, but didn't just doubt God's power. He doubted God's provision. You see, how good is this friend? Not very good. And he's the one assisting the king. He's the one giving direction. You see, this guard had a default mode. His default mode was not that optimistic. It was more pessimistic, wasn't it? I find that all of us kind of have a default mode. Some of you are, you're just optimistic by nature. You know, you're just, you, you just, glass is half full. Some of you, maybe not optimistic, maybe you're a little bit more cynical. And you're like, oh, I don't know, that, that, the glass may be half full, but I think it's poisoned. You're just cynical. And then there's some of you pessimistic. Glass is half empty. And then some of you are opportunistic. You drank the cup. You know, it's just like, oh, there's half a cup of water. All right. But we all have a default mode, don't we? And I, I've noticed that God kind of pairs couples together that are very different. One person is a little bit more extroverted, outgoing, a little bit more optimistic. And the other one would call themselves a realist. They don't want to call themselves a pessimist, so they call themselves a realist. We know who you are. Don't, don't trick. We know who you are. We know what you really are, just a glass half full. That's our default mode. And here you have this guard, and what's his default mode? God can't do that. God won't open the windows of heaven. Well, God's done it before. Why can't he do it again? If God's done it in the past, why won't he do it in your future? You see, that's what you forget to remember, and we need to come back. If God's done it before, that means he can do it again. Anybody remember when uh, pole vaulting, how they used to pole vault? They changed it now. It's called the Fallsbury flop. We go backwards over the pole vault. You run, you jump, and you see them kind of go backwards. Looks all kinds of awkward. Did you know for a long time that nobody knew how to do that? Nobody did the Fallsbury flop. And they named it after the guy who actually for the first time he did that pole vaulting. He cleared a height that nobody would ever be able to clear. He did it. Also, did you know ping pong? They used to use a wooden paddle, but it would have none of the little soft little grip on it and you would just play with these wooden paddles and so one guy showed up at the olympics with that rubber pad on it and he started smoking everybody and they were like that's cheating you can't have that he says not it why, why can't i have the rubber padding on it that's where we get the rubber padding why because somebody said wait a minute i can look at these things a little bit different i can do things differently i'm going to doubt my default you see, things have a default mode, and you are doubting the wrong thing. How about you doubt the default instead of doubting the creator? How about you say, you know what? This situation looks a certain way, and instead of me doubting God's ability, how about I doubt the way I look at things? How about I doubt the way I have faith for this? How about I doubt what other people are saying for a second? And how about I say, God, I'm going to go with what your word is saying. Let me doubt my default for a moment. Stop doubting God on everything. That God can't come through. God can't do this. No, let's get back to saying, I have a default mode that may be wrong. And let me doubt that before I doubt the goodness of God. Let me step back and say, God, what do you want to do? So what is your outlook? You see, his doubt was not what was punished, though. Some people think, oh, well, God punishes him because of his doubt. No, no, no. His doubt led beyond just doubt to despair, and doubt will lead you to disbelief. And that's what's the dangerous thing for us, is the disbelief. 
Sometimes people think, well, God doesn't like it when we doubt. No, there's no problem with us doubting. God has no problem with us doubting. That's, that's human nature. You're going to doubt. You're going to doubt all kinds of things. And don't for a second think that God punishes us because we doubt. No. It's because our doubt turns into disbelief. And that's what happened for this guard. He's now saying, that can't happen. You ever met those people? Oh, that can't happen. And then you're just like, well, watch me go after it. Watch me try. And at least I failed instead of never attempting it. At least I tried to read through my Bible. At least I tried to lead a life group. At least I tried to join a ministry team. Some of us, because we can't do everything perfectly, we forget that it's better that if we did something, even if it's flawless, even if it's not going to be flawless. And we just say, Lord, I'm going to do what I can. You see, he came back to the revelation. And this is what we need to come back to. God's promises are not predictions. And some of us look at God's problem, promises as, it's, as, it's, as a prediction. Who's going to win? Are the warriors going to make it? We don't know. It's just a prediction. God's promises aren't a prediction. And we need to come back and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to remember. Because in Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? See, never reject God's revelation. Don't reject it. You know, I want to dive into this just for a little bit, if you don't mind. I think sometimes the reason we actually reject God's revelation, his word, is because it'll create conflict. It's interesting that here's Elisha. Elisha, a little backstory, was the protege to Elijah. Elijah called down fire from heaven and consumed the burnt offering that he had doused in water. And then he had his servant, Elisha, take his place. And Elisha asked God for something, a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And what ends up happening is Elisha does double the miracles that Elijah did. And it's the same king. It's King Ahab. It's the same king. So he knew what Elijah had done, and he's watched what Elisha has done. And what's happening? Who is King Ahab believing here? Who is he following. He's following his guard. He doesn't say anything. Why didn't he say to the whole city, oh man, make announcement. Nobody else eat another child. Nobody else try to, try to, try to buy dove dung anymore. We don't have to do that. Why didn't he proclaim a celebration? None of that happens, does it? Why? Because Ahab actually doesn't believe. Because if he does believe, it's going to contradict who? His guard. You know, some of you are afraid to declare something because it could cause a conflict. And instead of speaking what God has spoken to you, you just say, I'll just stay silent with this word. And the problem is that you end up missing out. And God doesn't want you to stay silent about this. How many times do Christians, we want to avoid conflict so we won't ever attempt great things for God because we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. We have this mentality that if we are really going after God, that it'll make other people feel insecure. You know, if it makes other people feel insecure because you're going to pursue God, that's their issue, not yours. But how many of you, when you are pursuing God, you are letting these other people influence you in your pursuit of God. You're letting them stop a word that God gave to you. God was speaking to who in this passage? Verse number one, to the king. But who butts in? The king's guard. Isn't it amazing the voices you allow us to speak in? This verse number one opened with something. Who did it say to listen to? God or the king's guard? 
I know we're a little bit sleepy. Let me try it one more time. Verse number one, who did he say to listen to? God or the king's guard? God. Who's the king listening to? The guard. Who do you and I listen to? We, we, good answer. That's what we're supposed to say. I wish I could be there with you tomorrow. When you're about to make that decision, when you're about to say that thing, buy that thing, do that thing, you're like, you listening to God on that? Sounds like you ain't listening to God on that. But here's the problem. We are often guilty of not listening to God if we're We're often guilty of listening to whoever's around us instead of saying, Lord, I need to follow you. So we forget to remember. You see, too often you are afraid of having conflict with somebody because it may make them uncomfortable that you are saying, I'm going to read God. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to do what he wants. You see, when Christians have conflict, it's rarely today about what's right and wrong. It's about their limited ability to believe. Sometimes there's just Christians that just, they don't have your faith. And they end up holding you back sometimes. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm just going to believe. Now we've got to move. So I want to park at things here in the third point. When you are down to nothing, that's when God is up to something. We didn't read it, but I want to go to verse number three. The Bible says this, now there are four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. And they have a conversation. Notice what they say. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. Leprosy was a death sentence in that day and age. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. Amazing. Verse number six. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver, gold, clothing, and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come, let's go back and tell the people of the palace. Here's a great point to remember. When you feel like you're down to nothing, remember God is up to something. This whole passage is really about listening, is it not? And it's usually about our failure to listen to God. But in verse number six, we should just get really excited and really happy because there's one group that did listen to God. Did you notice it in verse number six? Let me go back real quick. The Bible says this, for the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear. They didn't see an army. They weren't attacked by an army. Our life is greatly impacted by our ability to hear God, is it not? And tuning your ability to listen to the voice of God. And if there's one thing we need to get back to is that are we listening to the voice of God? 
We started a few weeks ago that we want to be in his presence. Why do we want to be in his presence? Because we can attune our ears to hear his voice. They say when a baby is newborn, is just born, it knows the voice of its parents because it's been hearing the voice for usually nine months. It knows its mother. It knows its father. It knows the voices around. It's been listening. As we get around our heavenly father, we should be able to discern his voice. So that when we hear the voice of the enemy, all of a sudden we say, that's not the voice of my father. That's the voice of the enemy. I know I can discern the right voice. But here we should be thankful that the enemy, at least they were listening. Why is it that sometimes our enemies listen better than we listen? Why isn't it the church is the one that should definitely be listening to God? So when God prompts it on your heart to go and do something kind or loving for someone, you're there, you do it. When God convicts you that you got in an argument with your spouse, that you go immediately and say, that was my fault, I apologize, I'm sorry, I want a right relationship with you. When your brother or sister offends you in Christ, that you go to them immediately and say, I don't want anything between us. I want to have a right relationship. And we go make that right. But oftentimes, we're not listening to the voice of our Father. This is basic if we're going to continue to grow and thrive. You see, the enemy listened better than the king and the guard. See, they, they heard a noise that caused them to leave. It was just a noise. But here's what's equally amazing to me. At twilight is when it says the lepers went out. At twilight. The twilight is just before sundown. It's that time. Sun setting. And they went out to go and see where the army was. And the Bible says that God had told them that in the night that, that, that they heard a sound, so they left. So God, here's, here's what's amazing. When these lepers moved, that's when the army moved. You see, it's a chain reaction. The lepers set something in motion. You see, too often, we just want God to work and then we'll move. But God wants you to move and then he moves. And some of you are saying, God, move in this situation. God's like, no, I want you to grow in your faith. I need you to move. Some of you are waiting for something big on God, and God is actually, I'm waiting on you. I want you to see that you can trust me. I want you to see that I'm faithful. And God is doing some amazing things in our church, and I believe it's a a picture of what he wants to do in our city and in our world, but yet there is a choice we have to make. We still have to make a move. We can't just say, okay, God, do it all for us. God's saying, no, no, you've got to make a move. And you, when you move, you set things in motion. And some of the things that you want in motion won't get in motion until you take that first move. And maybe you're thinking, okay, Micaiah, tell me what I need to move on. And that's where I go back to why it's so important you hear the voice of God. Because God will speak to you what you need to move on. But here's equally what's sad and frustrating for me is there is a bunch of people in the city that they're still trapped They think they're still being surrounded by the enemy, don't they? And even these lepers, they're they're eating, their their stomachs are full, they get some gold, they get some clothes, and man, they're excited. They bury it, they hide it, and they're sitting around. They have a conversation. They say, we're being selfish. We got to go tell the city. What does that remind me of? That there's a bunch of people that they think they're surrounded by an enemy. What were they actually surrounded by? Was the enemy there? Yes or no? They were surrounded by their ignorance, not the enemy. Many of us, your biggest enemy is actually ignorance. 
ignorance to the promises of God. When God has surrounded you with many precious promises, when God's word will help you and encourage you, and because of your ignorance, the Bible says this, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I've never seen today more and more Christians more ignorant of what the word of God says. And I get it. We should have pastors that open this book, faithfully teach and preach it verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. I agree. But knowledge has been no more readily available than today. But it's the desire for knowledge that is lacking, not the presence of knowledge. Our churches are not hungry for the word. You can fill stadiums with people at your worship night. Everybody wants to come to a worship night. Everybody wants to come when it's something fun. But when it comes to a Bible study and let's learn about this book so that we're not surrounded by the enemy of ignorance because the city was surrounded by the only thing they were ignorant of. The enemy is gone. How do you miss this hundreds of thousands of soldiers leaving in the night? How do you miss that and not say we should be aware? God is going to stand one day. We're going to stand before God, and God's going to open to us and say, I had all these things I wanted you to access. This was all yours. As a child of mine, you are entitled to your inheritance, and your inheritance is not just for the life hereafter, but here now. And some of you are lacking things in your life that God is saying, you have access to these. You can have it now. But some of us, because of our ignorance, we don't know that God has all these things for us. And so luckily, these lepers are saying, we're not doing the right thing. We need to let them know. You see, people, they're ignorant to their freedom. They're ignorant to that there's food. They're ignorant to the fact that the God has fulfillment of his promise. There's ignorance of these things. We're supposed to proclaim liberty to the captive. That's what the church is called. My wife asked me, she was like, what is the biggest thing that I want? And I was like, I can tell you the biggest thing you want. She said, you ready for this? So she pulled out her phone. She's like, I'm going to record this. And I was like, yeah, you should record this. This is big. You ready? I said, you want freedom. She's like, that's not what I want. I was like, actually, it is. It is. You want freedom in your schedule. You want freedom in your finances. You want freedom in your uh, mental health. You want freedom. That's really what you want. And that's what all of us want. We want spiritual, emotional Freedom. We want freedom to be able to decide what we want to do. And God is the only one that can actually give true freedom this morning. And yet the world doesn't know. They are in bondage. They're enslaved. They are surrounded by the enemy that they think is out there. And the enemy's not even out there. Satan just has them blinded. And it's up to us to say, there's nobody here surrounding you. And if the church is ignorant to the ways of God, how are we going to help San Jose residents? How are we going to help them if we're ignorant to it? Judgment must first start at the house of God. We have to say, Lord, you could do great things. We need to once again say, Lord, I'm forgetting things I need to remember. Let me close with this. Every problem holds positive possibilities. Every problem has a limited lifespan. All of them. And God wants to do some amazing things in your future and in mine. But it really starts with, Lord, I'm forgetting to remember. I'm forgetting to remember that there's no situation that you can't turn around. 
I'm forgetting to remember that when my faith is weak, I need to get around people who are strong. I'm forgetting to remember that when I am down to nothing, that's when you are up to something. Help me to remember, God. Lord, help me to remember. Open up your phone. Set those reminders. Say, Lord, I got to remember you. I got to remember your promises. My wife will come to me and she'll say, I got my rhema for the day. What's that? That means her word for the day. What God is speaking to her. What's your word for the day? What is God speaking to you? What are you writing down? What are you carrying with you into this world that's trying to break you down and beat you up? This world that's just robbing you of your love, your joy, your peace. What are you carrying with you into this world? That's why scripture is so important that we're armed with the whole armor of God. So we're ready for the fight. And then when I use the word fight, please know that it's a spiritual, it's not a physical fight. It may be an emotional or mental fight, but you're wondering why you keep losing. It's because you're not ready for it. You don't have your word. And we need to go back to verse number one. Listen, listen. It's covenant. It's repeated twice so that we hear the voice of God. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this word. We pray that you would help us to guide us, help us to know your word, help us to know your voice, help us to remember that you're up to something when we even can't see it or even imagine how you're working. We know that you're working. We know that you're good. And so, Father, we need to trust you. Let me just pray for us this morning. Maybe right now you're filled with doubt. Maybe right now that doubt is borderline turning into disbelief. And you say, I need to remember what I often forget. Maybe you say, I need prayer to listen to the voice of God. I'm missing out on what he wants to say to me. Is that you? Could I pray for you? Anybody like that? You just need prayer this morning? Amen. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those that have lifted up their hand. We struggle because we... We often fail to remember what you're saying. So we need to not forget to remember. Those that raise their hand, I don't know the situation, I don't know the struggle, but God, you do. You know what they're wrestling with, what they're dealing with. Help them to realize that tomorrow you can turn everything around. Any situation, doesn't matter how dire or desperate it is, you can work in that situation. We trust you. So I pray for them. Father, go before us. Guide us now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the worship team's going to lead us in a song. And if you'd like to come slip out, pray here at the altar or make an altar of your seat. But it's a good time to not only hear from God, but also a time to talk back to God. And we're going to give you a space to do that. Worship team, would you lead us? Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.